Well, today is the fourth Sunday at Advent, and it's also Christmas Eve. And if you've been with us for the past three Sundays, you know that we have been celebrating Advent during the month of December. Well, what is Advent? We have talked about that each of the past three Sundays, so I don't want to repeat all of that again, but I'm going to briefly repeat some of what has been said for the benefit of those who may not have been here uh, during that, the other Sundays. The word Advent, it comes from the Latin word meaning coming. Advent is a commemoration of the first coming of Jesus Christ, His birth, and a looking forward to His second coming. A common tradition that is part of Advent is the Advent wreath. And we have one here on our stage over to this side this morning, which features four candles around the perimeter, which are lit on successive Sundays, and a center candle, which is lit on Christmas Eve or day. The first candle, which is lit on the first Sunday of Advent, is the hope candle or the prophecy candle. It's one of the purple candles that we have there. And purple, it represents repentance and preparation. And it also signifies royalty. So it is pointing to the coming King, Jesus Christ. The second candle, which is lit on the second Sunday of Advent, it's also one of the purple candles, is the faith candle or the Bethlehem candle. The third candle lit on the third Sunday of Advent is the joy candle or the shepherd's candle, and it's the pink candle on the wreath. Pink pink represents joy and celebration. The fourth candle, which we will be lighting here in a moment, is the peace candle or the angel's candle. The fifth candle is the Christ candle. It's the white one in the center of the wreath. White represents purity, light, restoration, holiness, and we'll be lighting that later in the service this morning. The wreath itself, it symbolizes the crown of thorns that was placed on Jesus' head when he was crucified. The red holly berries represent the blood of Christ, which was shed when he was crucified for our sins. The evergreen symbolize eternal life, which Christ gives to us. And the pine cones represent resurrection to new life. Well, as mentioned a moment ago, this is the fourth Sunday of Advent, so we will be lighting the peace candle today. Now's your clue, or your cue, I mean. So you guys come on up, light that candle, and then they'll be doing some readings for us as well. Nice job, you guys. Thank you. Do you remember this? the results of a study that were published a few years ago in Science Magazine with the headline, People Would Rather Be Electrically Shocked Than Left Alone With Their Thoughts. In the study, individuals were put in a room alone with no form of distraction other than a button that they could push, which would give them an electric shock. The people were asked to simply Think about whatever he or she wanted to for 15 minutes. The majority of people in the study, they reported not liking being alone with just their thoughts, even for a duration of a mere 15 minutes. Even further, the researchers were surprised to discover that 
even though all of the participants in the study had previously stated that they would pay money to avoid being shocked with electricity, almost half of them chose to shock themselves rather than just sit there quietly and think for those 15 minutes. One individual in the study chose to shock himself 190 times over the course of the 15 minutes. That works out to a shock every five seconds. Well, what about you? Are you okay with spending time in your head? Or would you be reaching for that button to give yourself a shock, to distract yourself? I wonder if part of the reason that people dislike being alone with their thoughts has to do with the lack of peace that they feel inside. When there's no distractions, our thoughts can begin to wander into areas that are not very enjoyable for us. Our guilt, our fears, our insecurities, our regrets, our worries, our emptiness, our loneliness, our lack of purpose, all of the little vermin in our heads can start climbing the walls of our mind, eating away at our peace and our joy. In his Pulitzer Prize-winning book, The Denial of Death, Ernest Becker wrote, Modern man is drinking and drugging himself out of awareness, or he spends his time shopping, which is the same thing. Now, he wrote that back in 1973. If he were writing today, he might change it slightly to say, modern people are drinking and drugging themselves out of awareness, or they spend their time on the internet in its many expressions, which is the same thing. The internet, with its various expressions, has become the greatest distraction humanity has ever invented. All of the surfing, shopping, texting, snapping, Chatting, sharing, liking, lurking, gaming, pinning, tweeting, xing, streaming, and so on. It keeps us distracted, giving us a false sense of peace. Well, not only is there a lack of peace in us, but there's a lack of peace among us as people. I mean, I don't think anyone would disagree that we are a divided people and we live in a divided world. The level of discord and anger among people is as high in our day as it's ever been that any of us can remember. Except for a handful of statistical outliers, we all want peace. The desire for peace is universal among human beings. We want peace in us. We want peace among us. It doesn't matter what country we are from, what our religious background is, our economic status, our sex, our race, our age. And this desire for peace has been shared by human beings throughout history. Well, why is something that is desired so much by so many for so long so difficult to obtain? In all of this division and hatred, and anger, and loneliness, and fear, and guilt, and emptiness, and longing came a baby born in an animal feeding trough in an insignificant village in a tiny little country 
halfway around the world from us. He was called the Prince of Peace. He's the answer to our longing. And that's what we want to talk about today, the Prince of Peace. The prophetic promise of the coming Messiah, which mentions the Prince of Peace, is found in the book of Isaiah. This prophecy was given by God through the prophet Isaiah some 700 years before the Messiah Jesus was born. Isaiah 9.6 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I want to take a quick look at the overall content of this verse and then focus in on Jesus being the Prince of Peace. This verse begins with the words, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And I want us to note first that our salvation, our rescue, our freedom, our joy, our peace, our relationship with God is given to us. Rather than something that we have accomplished or that we have earned, it's something God has done for us. Through the Christmas child, the Prince of Peace, his son Jesus Christ. We're not expected to lift ourselves up by our own bootstraps to find peace and wholeness. Why? Because we can't do it ourselves. If we could do it ourselves, then God would not have sent Jesus Christ and there would not be Christmas. Human history is a long, sad account of our repeated failures to achieve lasting peace among us and in us. God knows better than we do that we are not capable of achieving lasting peace on our own. And this is why he's done it for us. He's done for us what we can't do for ourselves. I also want us to notice the two words in these opening words of the verse, born and given. The child is born. The son is given. And it points to this dual nature of the Christmas child, the Prince of Peace. Jesus is both human and divine. In his humanity, he, has, he, he was born a child into this world, just like you and I, vulnerable and dependent. In his divinity, as God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, he was given to us as our Savior. John 3.16, which was read a moment ago, says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This mysterious union of God becoming a human being is what theologians call the incarnation. The world maker becoming a human being. As the old hymn says, Lo, within a manger lies He who built the starry skies. John 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. And then skip down to verse 14 of that same chapter. It says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us, referring to Jesus Christ. Isaiah 9, 6 it says, and the government will be on his shoulders. In other words, Jesus will take upon himself the burden of caring for and leading us. And what a wonderful day that will be when the government leader of this world will be Jesus Christ. 
I don't want to get into politics, but I am absolutely convinced that Jesus will be a better leader than anyone else we have ever had as a leader. Republican, Democrat, or otherwise. It says, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We have four names given for Jesus here. We've noted before that names in Bible times carried more significance than they do in our own day. Names in our own day are little more than identification tags. But in Isaiah's day, a name was a declaration of a person's character, their authority, their power. And so in this case, wonderful counselor refers to Jesus' great wisdom and insight and understanding of all things. We can trust his guidance and his leadership. His advice and his counsel are perfect. We never need to question if he has our best interests at heart or not. He always does. He knows what he's doing. We can trust him. Mighty God. It refers to his omnipotent power and sovereignty. His ability to do anything. His power is only limited by his own character. That means he can do anything, but he will only do what is consistent with who he is, being always good and just. And because he's absolutely good, we can trust him with absolute power. You'll remember that familiar saying credited to Lord Acton, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. In other words, power has a corrupting influence upon those who have it. And as a person's power increases, so does the corrupting influence on them. One with unchecked power is almost surely corrupt and not to be trusted. Human history has shown that to be a generally accurate observation. There's only one in all of the world who can be trusted with absolute power. Only one who we can know will remain unsoiled by power's corrupting influence. Our mighty God. We can know that all things are ultimately under his control. He's got the whole world in his hands, as the old song goes. The world may look like it's coming apart, but he's got it all under control. Everlasting Father. This is a reference to the fatherly nature of Jesus, his love and concern, his provision and protection for us. It's an everlasting love and care that he has for us. It's eternal. No one has ever loved you like he loves you. No one will ever love you like he loves you. No one has ever cared for you like he cares for you. And finally, Prince of Peace. Well, how is Jesus the Prince of Peace? Well, first, Jesus creates peace between us and God. And this is most important because being at peace with God is the source from which lasting peace comes with ourself and with others. It's our alienation from God, our separation from God, which has cascaded into our alienation and our separation with ourselves and with others. Think back again to the story of the fall of humanity in the Garden of Eden. 
talked about in Genesis chapter 3. When Adam and Eve chose to follow their own ideas about right and wrong rather than God's, they broke their relationship with God. And the breaking of that relationship led to the breaking of their relationship with their self and with each other and with the rest of creation. They began to feel anxiety, fear, insecurity, guilt. Their internal peace was lost. Their peace of mind was lost. They began to distrust each other. They put up barriers between each other. They felt the need to protect themselves from one another. Their peace between them was lost. The wholeness and peace that they originally had when they were in a good relationship with God, it quickly disintegrated. You might remember their very first child, Cain, murdered his brother Abel out of jealousy. Peace was no more. Things have not improved since then. We face the same troubles in our own day. The lack of peace in us and among us is as much a reality in our own day as it was in theirs. In the same way that a loss of peace with God led to a loss of peace with ourself and with others, so the way back to peace with ourself and with one another begins by having peace with God. Peace with God leads to peace in us and among us. Jesus created peace between us and God through the giving of his own innocent life in our place. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5.6, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus traded places with us. He died the death of a person separated from God because of sin. And he gives us his life as one who is at peace with God. Believing that Jesus died as a sacrifice for our sins, we can be reconciled with God. We can have peace with God. Jesus also creates peace in us. When we are reconciled with God, a reconciliation also begins to take place inside of us with ourself. As our guilt is swallowed up by God's grace and His forgiveness, a new kind of wholeness begins to grow in us. The Holy Spirit produces peace in us. Peace of mind begins to grow in us. When we're in good relationship with God, it produces life and peace. Romans 8, 6 says, The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Entrusting our life to the Lord creates peace in us. John 14, 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. The peace Jesus promises to his followers is not an exemption from hardship and difficulties. 
The followers of Jesus can face as many difficulties and troubles in this life as anyone else. The peace Jesus promises us is of a different quality, though. It's not a peace that's connected to our circumstances. It's a peace that transcends our circumstances. The peace Jesus promises is connected to eternity rather than the here and now. We can be peaceful in the midst of the storms in this life because we are pilgrims here. This is not our permanent home. This life is not all that we have. We obviously care for what's happening in this world and we care a great deal for many of the things in this world. But this world is not our foundation. Philippians 4, 6 Paul writes this, he says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Worry and anxiety come when we carry the what-ifs of life on our own. When we share the weight of all of that with the Lord through prayer And trusting in Him, peace replaces that anxiety and worry. The peace of God says we'll guard our heart and our mind. God's peace will stand like a sentinel, protecting our heart and our mind, pushing away the worry and the anxiety and the crazy making in our heads. Now it's important that we understand that this peace comes when we pray and then trust the Lord with things. The praying won't do us its intended good if we don't accompany our praying with trusting. In our act of praying, we need to remember to also roll the burden onto his shoulders. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Jesus also creates peace among us. See, not only does Jesus create peace between us and God and create peace in us, he also creates peace among us. Galatians 3.26 says, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. When we believe in Jesus as our Savior, trusting in His substitutionary death for our sin and putting our hope in His resurrection for our eternal life, and we follow Him as our Lord, we enter into this new relationship with God through Christ. We become children of God. It says, All who have, been, or all who have become children of God in Christ have also become brothers and sisters with one another. And this new relationship that we have with each other, it supersedes all other distinctions that we might have between us. In several of Paul's letters, he uses the analogy of us being part of a single body to illustrate the idea of our unity and dependency on one another. Colossians 3.15, for example, says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. Ephesians 4.3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. 
It's important that we take note of our responsibility to maintain this unity among us in Christ. We're told in Ephesians 4.3 here to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort to do this. We're told in Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in our heart. The peace of Christ is to be the authority that we are to Submit to in our relationships with each other. Let the peace of Christ rule. Be the authority in that relationship to overcome our divisions. Jesus commands his followers to be peacemakers like himself. And this command for us to be peacemakers isn't restricted to just maintaining peace among believers but to pursue peace with everyone. Jesus tells us that those who follow his example of being a peacemaker will be blessed and recognized as part of his family. Remember Matthew 5, 9, he says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Paul describes peacemakers in Romans 12, 17. He says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Verse 17, he says, a peacemaker forgives offenses against them. Also in verse 17, a peacemaker tries to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Verse 18, a peacemaker seeks to live at peace with everyone. In 19, a peacemaker does not seek revenge from those who have wronged them. Verse 19, also a peacemaker trusts the Lord to make things right. Verse 20, a peacemaker is kind even to their enemies. And 21, a peacemaker is not defeated by evil, but overcomes evil with good. You know, the biggest source of trouble and discord and the destroying of peace with other people comes from our mouth and our typing fingers. There are three gatekeeper questions that we can ask ourselves before we speak or make a post or send a text which can help us be peacemakers rather than peace destroyers. Those questions are, is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? Is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? If we can't answer yes to all three questions, then we probably don't need to say it or post it or text it. It's better to leave it unsaid than to say it and regret it later. Let's follow the example of Jesus and be peacemakers. Well, finally, Jesus will one day establish his peace overall. The peace of Jesus Christ, it doesn't rule in all places at the present. But one day, it will. 
One day the Prince of Peace will rule all realms. And we look forward to that day, to the second coming of Jesus. We're given a vision of what that day will be like in Isaiah 11, verse 6. He describes it this way. It says, the wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den. The the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, which is one of the names for Jesus in the Old Testament, will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Jesus created peace between us and God through the sacrifice of himself. Jesus creates peace in us as the Holy Spirit brings us to life spiritually, restoring our relationship with God, healing our brokenness inside, cleansing our conscience, growing his character in us. Jesus creates peace in us in the midst of life's turmoil when we entrust ourselves to him. Jesus creates peace among us by creating a new kind of relationship for us with God and with each other. In Jesus, we become children of God and brothers and sisters with one another. The unity we have in Christ supersedes all distinctions that we might otherwise have with each other. Jesus will one day establish his peace over all realms. That promise fills us with hope and anticipation. Isaiah 9.6 For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The Christ has come. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. that you, Jesus, the Prince of Peace, have indeed come. And you have established peace between us and God. Through you, we can have peace in ourself. We can find that peace. We can have peace with one another. And Lord, we look forward to your coming when you will establish peace in all realms. There will be no harming or violence or evil ever done again in all your holy mountain. I ask you would bless your people with this hope this year, Lord, in Christmas. In Jesus' name.